You're listening to ASD Warrior, a podcast about the journey of getting your PhD in your child on the spectrum. With over a decade of success and challenges, it's time to share and support all of you ASD Warriors. Hosted by your always passionate and wildly intense ASD Warrior teacher, child advocate, and mom, Kathy Galbraith Willoughby. On today's ASD Warrior, I have someone um, very special that I recently met. You know, we live in a world of a social environment. We've got so many things out there, Facebook, Instagram, I mean, you name it. It's a way we connect. And what has been beautiful about those resources for parents like us on that journey of ASD and how we navigate with our kids is that we have that ability to reach out. And so it was interesting. I recently came across David Munson, who is the CEO of Spectrum Advice, and I was reading a comment that he had given to a recent family that um, just found out, um, and we all know kind of how dark and scary that can be and what you're wanting to do is connect. And it just got me. It was very heartfelt. Um, It was very on point um, and so thoughtful to give such great direction to that family at that point in time. Well, you know me, I had to reach out because I'm like, I need to connect with great people like that. So reached out to David and um, we set up a time to talk and we were talking constantly. So much connectedness, cohesion in thought that we had together as we explored our journeys and he being a little bit farther in his than I, um, really using that opportunity to kind of ask him some questions and also just really identify the similarities of both of us. And so I was thrilled from the connection and then now we get to do a podcast together. So thank you so much, David, for your time today and um, exploring this um, connection. Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. So one of the hard things for both of us, as we have talked about getting on here and podcasting together is, okay, so what kind of questions? Like, what what do we want to talk about? How do we narrow this thing down? And, um, you know, it came to me this morning, you know, that I'm like, okay, I'm going to switch it all up. So poor David is now dealing with my crazy of, okay, let's do this. Um, But seriously, really wanting to make sure that we identify some things that are most relevant to anybody going in um, this journey, being on the journey um, and all the experiences that we have. And so one of the things that I wanted to kind of start with, with you, David, is, um, you know, on this journey. Can you recall some of those big decisions? You know, those are those clarity moments, kind of stopping points um, where things happened. You had to make decisions and change and, and, and tell us maybe what some of those things look like. Okay. You know, as I thought through that, I would say probably real three real critical things. Now, Travis was diagnosed with uh, ASD when he was 11 and we got a, actually a pretty dire diagnosis from the therapist. You know, he says, now I I need you to understand, you know, Travis is going to struggle in in school, which means that he may not graduate high school and and probably definitely won't go to college. He's going to struggle in his social relationships and he may never get married. He may have a really hard time keeping down a job when he gets older. And I had this nightmare vision of this 30 something year old living in my basement, playing video games all day long. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the last thing I want to have happen. 
Absolutely. And so we were really trying hard, doing a lot of research. I took some parenting classes. We did love and logic. We all of these things that we were trying to do to help my son. And every time it just we kept coming up short. When he was uh, 15, we actually it got so bad. We actually put him in a residential treatment center for an entire year. And it was at the end of that year, getting close to the end of that year, that uh, when he started to come out of that treatment program and it was again falling down and not even, because we thought that was our last stopgap measure. We'd gone through therapists. We'd gone through, literally tried everything. And we thought, this is it. Either this works or nothing will. And at the end, at 10 months into this 12-month program, when it was clear that it hadn't stuck and things were starting to fall apart as he was trying to migrate back into real life, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm at the end of my rope. What else can I do? And it was at that point that his therapist in this treatment program said, you know what, Dave, I realized Travis had all of us duped. He you know, made himself out to be the golden boy through our program. We thought that all the issues were with you and your wife and not with him. And I now feel so bad that we've wasted 10 months and how many thousands of your dollars, I'm going to make it up to you. So Adam, on my own dime, I'm going to help you to navigate through this and figure out what is happening. And true to his word, he did exactly that. That was probably the first critical point. And through that process and through that navigation, I was able to come across some incredible research. Um, one of the, probably the biggest ahas that I had was doing some research by a doctor uh, by the name of Stephen Porges, a research doctor that has done incredible work on what he calls the polyvagal theory. And what puts us into fight, flight, or freeze, into survival mode. And as I started to compare this with Travis and what he was, what was happening with him, I realized this is exactly what is going on and later have realized that everyone on the spectrum are much more vulnerable to going into fight, flight, or freeze. And the second biggest aha is to realize he didn't have any control over this. It was very much an anatomical factor and it wasn't a motivation issue. All this time, I thought he was a rebellious teenager and that this was all on him. And when I came to that realization, then I finally hit critical point number three, which was, I remember one night I was laying there just trying to figure out, okay, then what can I do to help him? And I heard this voice inside my head that said, you can't heal him, but you can heal yourself. And it hit me with so much force. I had to repeat it. You cannot heal him but you can heal yourself. And can I, can I comment a little bit on yes. that? I know, Absolutely. I know the clarity behind that because, you know, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people out there, you know, with kids on the spectrum is it's not that we need to heal them. We need to understand them. Yes. We need to understand the difference. Um, you know, you talk a lot about, I just wanted to pause for a moment because um, your stories are so brilliant, but I just want to give, kind of relevance since you found out about your son at 11, you know, a lot of these things are so much more severe when they're younger. 
um, right. because they haven't learned how to cope and just, I mean, at any age at three or four, you're still managing your ability to cope in a situation. Um, and then on top of it, when you're on the spectrum, it's, you know, that, um, that, that term you use all the time. And I love it so much. Now I use it is shielding, you know, uh -huh. your kids are shielding. Cause like, whoo, way too much going on. Can't process, can't prioritize, you know, and that would either turn into kind of a regression into their own head or they would have fits. And, and what was, What's so sad that I see a lot, and I'm sure you see it as well, David, on some of these um, pages that we're on is that, you know, everybody's like acting like I need to discipline my kids um, right. and they're throwing fits and the grandparents are like, oh my gosh, you're not doing it right. And what's so sad for me is, you know, especially a first time parent, you might really think you're not doing a good job and you fully don't understand the spectrum. You know, I was fortunate to have two older kids so I could look back and go, no, this is normal. But, you know, yes. and, and a, you know what I mean? Like, and there's so much of that conversation about what is ASD and what is just normal development and how that can be very regressed, the normal development with your kids. And so when you talk about behaviors and, you know, with your son, it's not, I mean, he's brilliant and we know that, um, and he, you guys weren't able to diagnose him until a lot older. So he, he figured it out and he figured it out very well, um, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to go that long without the diagnosis, where for some of us that find out a lot younger, um, we see those things as well. Yes. Well, and not to say that he didn't have any symptoms. We just didn't know what they were. He was diagnosed with ADHD when he was seven. And that's what I realized is so many of these kids are diagnosed with ADHD because it becomes a classroom management issue. Uh -huh. When in reality, it isn't until much later that they start to figure out, no, actually, it's, it's a little deeper than that. Absolutely. And so, you know, given that you obviously found out that he was ADHD or he was on the spectrum and, you know, it's right. it it um, you know, there's so many varying levels of that. But, you know, how. How did you connect? You know, how at seven did you connect with him? How, once you found out the diagnosis, he got older and then got into those teen years, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which are always hard. Um, how did you connect? Well, let me go back. When, uh, one of the biggest things that I realized as I started to do more research is that for Travis and for so many of these kids, control and certainty is synonymous with safety. Absolutely. In other words, when they feel that they have some degree of control and when they can predict things, when they can anticipate things and you're not throwing them a bunch of curveballs, they feel safe. When any of that gets thrown out of whack, they aren't safe. And what I realized is so much of my parenting tactics were violating that control and that certainty. And I was very inadvertently putting him into his shielding system, as, as you already mentioned, mm -hmm. without even realizing it. So I first had to change things about me to make sure that I could help him feel safe, that I could create that environment of safety for him, number one. Number two, I realized that with him and so many of these kids on the spectrum, they live in their world. And if you want to connect with them, you have to go into that world. You can't expect them to come out of their world to join you in yours. And so, you know, when Travis was big into Harry Potter, I read the whole Harry Potter series. When he was big into Hunger Games, I read the whole Hunger Games series. Right, when he right. was big into chess, I played chess until he could beat me in four moves. Um, and then I decided it was time to let him find somebody else a little bit more skilled than I was. <laughs> 
I like it. No, and I think that's such a good point. And there, there, I do have a podcast about that in their world. And I'm glad that you kind of mentioned it at a later stage of connecting, because that's very important to a lot of the listeners. You know, right. early on, I talked about, you know, how Nathan liked tap dancing because he liked happy feet and he still loves penguins. And that turned into me taking tap class. He takes tap class. We're on stage together, mm. you know, dancing, you know, yes. um, at a dance company. I mean, so it's, it's about in a way, like you're saying the safety thing, it's so important. It's, but it's also you recognizing their world is great. Yes. You know, we, so we so long, so many times stand back and go, is that um, disconnect? Is that regression? And we're trying to label something that's going on in their world. And they are disconnecting because there's too much going on, you know, right. and they just need to feel safe, you know, and if they've had ABA all day, or if they've had, you know, OT and speech, they're done. I mean, they're done, yes. done, done. Right. Um, and then they kind of regress. And it's like the only way that you can say the world you want to bring them into of more of the family structure and different things is to then say to them, their world is amazing too. And then how do you bridge those two? It's right. not one or the other. It's how do you get in there, make them feel safe and make them happy that what they're doing, you like, right? Like it's, they're not this in this weird separate place. And, and sometimes yes. they feel like that. And that's, that's where we as parents, I think, and you and I were so spot on on the same page is that it's about, okay, it's not about you and it's not about what you're not doing. And it's not about what you think it should be, but what it is, how you can make it amazing and how you can smile, love and give your child confidence. Yes. And, and, you know, you really raised a great point. Like you said, when they're, they've been at ABA therapy or whatever all day long and they're totally spent. One of the biggest ahas that I realized is if you want to say each of us have an emotional gas tank, we have might have like a 20 gallon tank. They've got more like a five gallon tank. And that tank is going to run on empty a lot more quickly than ours. And so when they come home and they are spent, you can't throw homework. You can't throw something else on them until they've had a chance to replenish and refill that tank. And it might mean, you know, let, playing Minecraft with them for a half an hour or doing something else that really replenishes them so that then they're finally in a position to do the things, the other more important things that you need them to do. Now, I, I totally, totally agree. And I think you and I talked about this too. And in the many conversations we've had only in what, two or three conversations yes. as we talk for over an hour each time, but it's about knowing their personality too. Yes. You know, we talk so much about the spectrum and it's, it, it's obviously something that in, impacts them significantly, but it's really how their brain works differently, but it doesn't yes. define that not all ASD kids are introverts and want no. to be by themselves and read books all day. You know, and I've told you this because my son is the biggest extrovert I've ever met in my entire life, which makes it hard for him because he struggles socially. So, you know, I'm like the barrier mom, like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh, what, what are you doing? Where are you going? Yes. What kind of questions are you asking? You know, but at the same time, it's always, you know, we've got to make it safe, of course, but we can't get so caught up sometimes, too, in making everything about this diagnosis because it's not. And so when you no. talk about the fuel tank, which I think is a brilliant example, um, you know, they could be five or they could be 10, but, you know, then also knowing that they can be completely exhausted because they've tried so hard to connect all day. And it was with failure they met sometimes and how that depletes their little hearts too. Um, and so it's really being that 
connected to your child. And, you know, like you and I've talked and getting your PhD in your child, it's so important that you know them, you understand the connectors that get in the diagnosis. Right. And then it's almost like you have to throw that away a little bit and then start just looking at them like, okay, I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But who are they? And, and I think, you know, some of the things that you've done in your program um, with your company really help parents hone in on that. What I'm trying to do in the podcast so that they see and they have examples, you know, those are the kind of things that both of us are committed to. Right. And the biggest thing, I think the biggest thought is realizing you can't compare them to you. Like I said, their brains work differently. And, you know, talking about that, that gas tank, Getting ready in the morning and taking a shower and, and doing whatever you need to do to get on with your day for you might not even take a half a gallon. And because of their sensory issues, just getting into the shower might take up a full gallon or more. Right. And so part of that is really having empathy for their struggles, what they're going through and what absolutely drains them. Well, and I think, too, if I can say this and I may say this boldly so you can maybe soften a little up, but it's like. Okay. I feel like stop thinking they don't want to do something all the time, that they're being spoiled. Um, It may appear like that on the outside, but you need to pause for a minute and really understand what's going on inside their head. Yes. And give them grace. Yes. And if we can do that more often, I think we would see such a change in all of our kids. Right. Like you said, what was my biggest aha? My biggest aha in understanding the shielding system and understanding flight, flight, or freeze is to know that it was not a motivational issue. And when they are, quote unquote, being spoiled or they don't want to do things, it is because they are crawling inside their shell or they are fighting at this perceived threat. And the biggest thing that we need to do is to take a step back divorce ourselves from the situation a little bit, take a pause and say, okay, what is he, he or she fearing? What is, what is this threat? And then how can I either avoid this threat or somehow make make him or her feel safe again? I agree. And I think the other piece to that is um, parents need to understand that this is always going to be different their brain works different in how we handle these situations. And I think it's especially hard when you had other kids, like for myself, having, you know, air quotes, normally developing children, whatever that means. Um, It's hard because I'm like, Oh, you know, and I'm the most impatient person. And he reminds me (laughs) of that often. Um, I'm like, Oh my gosh, let's just get over it. Let's just do it. You know, and and taking pause and being present in the moment and just slowing down your life. Um, And that's, I think one of the hardest parts about this journey is, you know, giving that pause, giving them grace, empathy, huge, um, and getting outside of what you think it should be or what you thought it was and be in the moment. Yes, very much live in the moment. Absolutely. That is so, so critical. That's what I realize is that as parents, because of their hypersensitivities to so many things, we have to be so much better. And I'm sure you probably saw this with your other kids that you could probably, they would give you a lot more grace than your son Nathan could. And just because of the the struggles and the issues that, that he deals with. So we have to be really on top of our game and that means you know to be truly in the present we have to figure out 
what we need to resolve from our past, how we need to not be so anxious or so worried about the future. So we, in essence, we can rectify and solve all of those issues so that we can truly be there in the present for them and for all of the things that we need to do. I agree. And the other thing I would like to add to that too, is that it it constantly changes and that that's the hard part. I think a lot of people, when they get the diagnosis, you know, they go through, especially when they're young, okay, we're doing ABA, we're doing OT, we're doing PT, we're doing speech, we're doing play therapy, music therapy. Let's go horseback riding. I mean, it's just like, you just jump in, you know, like I'm going to do everything, which, you know, now that we have older kids and they can communicate with us, it's like, that was way too much. (laughs) And we're trying to just like, I need to box check everything. I need to be doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing and their food and vitamins and all that kind of stuff. It's it's very important, but it also changes. Like there's not going to be this piece of paper that you and I create in, you know, in this fictitious world that if you do everything, it all gets easier because there's, you know, obviously hormonal changes, they're growing up, Um, school gets harder, it becomes harder to focus when the content's harder. I mean, there's so many things that get woven into just balancing their day. Right. And, And then, I mean, you know, for us optimistic people, which I know everybody wants to be, and sometimes hard to be in certain situations, I want him to be the best person he can be. I want him to walk into a room, head high, chest out, shoulders up and be like, yeah, I'm so good at this. Right. Right? And have that confidence. And um, it's, that's been kind of the challenge. And yet if I was to say at what I did at three years old, I still do at 15 is crazy. It's completely changed. I've seen different things. And so that's why I feel it's so important when we can get on here and do podcasts together and, you know, you doing the training and different things that you do with your organization um, that you have support and you also get a different lens at different yes. stages of their life. And, and, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, I think is so important with so many parents that all they want to do is check off all the boxes. I mean, that was me. I was a fixer. You know, it was the fixer mentality. I've got to do it all. I've got to, And the thing that I realized is you can't fix it. What it really is all about is establishing that emotional connection, Mm -hmm. creating that environment of peace, of safety, calm, love, and belonging. And then making sure that they feel safe enough that they can finally begin to grow and to explore. Because when they are in their shielding system, all growth and all exploration is shut down. And all the solutions you try to throw at them are going to go nowhere because they're in no mood to learn anything until you first create that environment of safety so that they can explore. Well, I I think that's so true. Um, And, you know, those are the kind of things that, that kind of keep you up at night is trying to get ahead of it. Right. And, you know, so give me a little snapshot into your world of what are some of those things that kept you up at night? You know, in all honesty, the biggest thing that kept me up at night was that probably that dire prediction that therapist gave me, you know, is it going to come true? Am I going to have a 30 something year old living in my basement yeah. uh, playing video games because he's, he's not able to, to do with anything else um, that, you know, we all dream about doing, you know, we all have the dreams of, 
you know, my, my son or daughter is going to go to college and they're going to major in something awesome and they're going to be great in their careers and they're going to have wonderful families and a white picket fence and two and a half children and, you know, all right. of the things that you dream about, right? Right. And were any of those things going to come true? And I think the biggest thing and the biggest thing that I had to overcome was instead of, like we said, that fixer mentality, instead of trying to go at it of how do I fix this? to first focus on making that emotional connection, that loving connection. And once we had that established, every single one of those predictions, we proved him wrong. But it wasn't because I was trying to be a fixer in, in resolving each one of those. They resolved themselves because I first worked on me and then I worked on us, meaning our relationship together. Absolutely. I think, I think we all, because I think that's where we go. And I was talking about that in one of my podcasts, the gut punch, it, it talks about like, you know, when we find out, right. And that's exactly what happened to me is I'm like, I'm sitting there in the room with the psychiatrist that specialized in diagnosing on the spectrum, you know, after the big fight of, you know, checking the last box for me of like, okay, he is on the spectrum. Right. I mean, cause right. I was fighting it tooth and I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, just really struggling with it is then going, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when I'm not here? Like, yes. because at the same time, and I talked about this in another podcast too, they diagnosed his IQ. And I'm like, how could you diagnose IQ at, you know, two and a half years old when he's mm. disconnected and he's on, and he's in his head, you right. know? And it was, uh, which still that I probably, probably need to do another podcast to get more of that venting out. But still, I think you know, it's, that's where you go. And that's what does keep you up at night. And then when they struggle in school and they have behavior issues and it just, it comes up, I don't know about you, but if I ever saw that school phone number come up on my cell phone, I instantly went into the fight or flight mode. Yes. And unfortunately, and that sometimes it happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like, oh, you know, and you know, you feel sick to your stomach. How can I work? You know, all the, it's just, it's so much. So I think that's what's so important about when we talk about those moments where we did go there and yes, we have proven them wrong and, you know, it's not proven them wrong, but you know, maybe they all, maybe it was a, you know, you and I are very spiritual, but maybe it was a message from like, I need to tell these two that because that means they're going to dig in real big, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> there's like, Oh no, you can't say that to me. I'm going to fix that. You know, and again, <laughs> not fixing, but you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think that um, that is, probably the hardest thing to do is to go through that piece, but that's, what's so important about being present in every moment. And if you think that you, you know, you don't get do-overs on every day, we don't know how long we're all going to be here is you got to make every day special and you can right. and to, by doing that and staying in that mindset. Don't worry about they're not doing this. They're not doing that because, because I think you and I can both say having older children on the spectrum, they do catch up, you know, sometimes that, fight or flight or that shielding of some of the social things and, you know, appropriate conversations and all that kind of stuff, they catch up. It just takes them longer because they shield themselves so yes. much from learning at family get togethers. And you have, you know, friends over at night with their kids. They're like, Oh yeah, way too much going on. I'm just going to go over here and play my iPad. Right. You know? And so they miss out on some of the things that we growing oh. up just kind of listen to our aunts talking and you're like, Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Right. You know, they don't do that. So I think we forget that. And so, but they will catch up. 
And maybe it's 20 or 25 when maybe they start acting like 18. Who cares? Yes. Right. Like who cares? You know, we all have our like weird side sometimes or our, you know, our dysfunctional side. We all have them. Right. And so not to be so harsh on that because they will catch up. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is to realize that, you know, like they say, it, it takes a community to raise a child. Um, totally. You know, there was one therapist that um, such sage advice. He said, OK, now I want you to understand. And I think so often as parents, he's, he kind of used this analogy. He says, have you ever played jungle volleyball? And I said, what do you mean by jungle volleyball? I says, OK, like, you know, at a social function or church function or whatever, where it's not really a team, you know, formal team. And inevitably, you've got an all-star player that feels like they are the only one that can keep that ball in play. And they'll run all over the court, even if they have to knock you out of the way to make sure that they get the ball. (laughs) Keep it in play. We all know those people. (laughs) He says, you know, so often as parents, we're like that all-star volleyball player. We're running all over the court, trying to keep that ball in play, trying to make sure that our child has everything that we think they need. And he said, you need to stop and realize you have been placed in a position on that volleyball court for a reason. Yes. And when that ball goes somewhere else, trust that there are other players, seen and unseen, that will help keep that ball in play. That is absolutely beautiful and my biggest fear. You know, that I think, and I I think it goes back to the fact too, that, you know, I was bullied so much when I was younger. And so what you ended up learning how to do was adapt, right? Because you didn't want it to keep happening. And so what I didn't realize until Nathan is I did that with my older kids too, of like, okay, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't run. Nope. Don't do that. That's going to make you look, you know, out of place or, you you know what I mean? And you're like, kind of like corralling them. And then obviously when you have a child that's extremely extroverted and socially kind of struggling it's all the time right and so you're in that fight or flight mode and i totally agree with you and it took me a long time to get to that statement that you just said which again beautifully stated is have enough faith um, in that you are put in a situation and there are other people there and there are other teachers it's not always you Um, and as long as that environment is safe by the people that you're surrounded by and that you trust them, if it's family and friends, let them learn from them. And yeah. that has been the hardest hurdle for me because I always want to protect him and I'm not protecting him. I, you know, I really need to let him fall around people that sometimes can lift him up and it doesn't always have to be me. Right. In fact, one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest movements forward for my son, Travis, was actually. He, he got engaged uh, relatively young, I would say. And uh, my now daughter-in-law's parents turned him down flat. They said, absolutely not. You will not marry our daughter. And here is why. A, you don't have a driver's license. B, you are not even thinking about attending college. And, you know, even though we had tried for years to try to convince him that both of those would be good things, it wasn't until he had this potential father-in-law saying, I'm going to take my daughter away from you unless you can do those things. All of a sudden, 
wham, bam, he gets his driver's license. He starts going to school. And just last week, he graduated with a 4.0. Wow. I love that. But I couldn't have done that. Somebody else had to do that. Somebody who was very important to him, because obviously, this is the woman he wants to be with the rest of his life. And he's saying, you can't have her unless or until. Well, there was a huge motivating factor for him. So true. And, and, and I think that's just so hard as parents to, you know, I mean, sometimes those things happen, right? With It's probably better for me. I'm going to be totally full disclosure if it happens and I don't know it <laughs> because, you know, it's really hard to let go, you know, yes. and it was funny because I have to, I have to bring up something that's kind of comical. And I think I talked about it on, on another one, but, you know, letting go is a really hard thing for me. And I'm one of those helicopter pilots. And if I had my two older ones on here, it would be just, they would just be slamming me left and right. But, um, you know, so I've had to really learn, you know, probably even the last couple of years with Nate, you know, like he's getting older, he's 13, 14, 15. You don't have to corral him all the time. It's all good. So we're in Hawaii and he's out in the ocean and I'm worried, right? Because of course my head sharks, oh my God, there's going to yes. be sharks, you know? So I'm like, Kathy, stop it. Just sit here, let him have a moment. There's other kids out there. Don't worry about, you know, if he's talking or saying something, whatever. He's he's doing fine. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he gets all the way down. It's like the, it was moving him down shore. And I'm like, again, talking to myself, Kathy, you're good. Oh my gosh, you, I'm so proud of myself. I'm patting myself on the back. He finally gets out of the water, comes walking up to me and says, I almost died and you need to work on your parenting skills. And I'm like, (laughs) I can't even have my moment. (laughs) So we, again, we'll try another time soon, but you know, it's, it's one of those success and failure things too. And we have to be okay with sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it is that journey. And I think we can honestly say as people that sometimes we learn the most when we kind of face plant on our own journey and have to pick ourselves up. Um, and our scuffed knees and our, you know, broken heart and our heads killing us, but we, we get through it and we have to allow them to have those moments as well. Absolutely. So here's another question that I just think is so good. And I think we probably touched on it a little bit, but it's like, if you knew then what you know now with the journey Mm -hmm. you've had with Travis and seeing how amazing things have turned out for him. Right. What would you tell yourself then when you found out? A couple of things, I think. One, dad, you're doing okay. Yeah. You're doing the best you can. And maybe there are things you can do better. And those are certainly things you can work on. But don't beat yourself up over, as you put it, the face plants and some of those things, right? And two, trust in the journey and trust that as long as you love him with all your heart and you seek to empathize, you seek to emotionally connect, you seek to live in the present, he will become the best that he can possibly be. Which is what we want for all of our kids. Yes, because you're, you're basically... You know, that shielding system, you're opening the doors. When you create that environment, you're opening the doors that allow him to finally break free and to become that full potential. I think our biggest job as parents 
is to allow them to come out of that shielding system, mm -hmm. create an environment where they can stay out of that shielding system, and then watch the awesome happen, because it will. It, it definitely does. I, I just got this thought, and I, I love your insight on it, is I think we don't want them to shield themselves, but be careful not to shield you. Yes. You know, it's, you can't They're not the only them. ones that can go into their shielding system. I know. And I think we do. I think we do sometimes because we're overwhelmingly scared. Right. And yes. we're fearful. And this is, you know, I don't think, I mean, you know, I'm married and I love my husband, but I don't think you love anything as much as your kids, maybe grandbabies, which I'm waiting for, but you know, right. I, it's kind of like your heart is out there. It's vulnerable. Yes. And then you find out that they're different and they're struggling. You know, they, the way they think is different. They're not different, but, you know, and especially like in kindergarten, first grade, and they don't get invited to any birthday parties and, and all this kind of stuff. And they don't know any different, but you know. Right. And so you start shielding yourself more and more and more. And that's the part, like you said so brilliantly, you've just got to let the journey happen um, and let the teachers come to view and let them teach. Right. And learn the lessons that we need to learn along the way, because the thing we can't forget as parents is we're still growing, too. You know, my daughter said to me the other day, she's like, you know, mom, I wish I had you now. As a mom, when I was younger, and, you know, part of it kind of hurt me, but then, you know, I was like, well, there's no way you could because I, you know, I'm a lot older and I've gone through <laughs> all of this and, you know, I just was you know, a different person. Right. right. Um, but it's a brilliant conversation to have with your kids because they do understand and they realize that you aren't perfect. Um, and it's nice to have that open conversation of forgiveness. Um, but, you know, you really have to allow yourself to grow on the journey, not just your child. And I think that sometimes we forget that, like we're supposed yes. to know everything we won't. Um, and we learn every day. Well, and, and, and going along with that, probably the biggest thing that I learned I think the biggest turnaround in Travis's life was because I turned around first mm -hmm. and allowed him to have that turnaround. So the question that I sometimes ask the parents is, you know, you care so much about your kid. Would you care enough to change what you need to change so that they can change? You know, because I think so often we are prisoners of our past. We're prisoners of our own emotional trauma or emotional uh, challenges that we have had in life. Right. And don't realize how much that has an impact on the emotional triggers mm -hmm. that our kids give us. Yeah. On, you know, the, the things that that are so hard for us to be able to finally step out and create that environment of safety and peace. I couldn't truly create that environment until I created the peace within. Once I had the peace within, then it was a very natural outgrowth to create the peace without. And a lot, I think that's where we need to start. And that is the best way to stop for today and then spend some more time thinking about all the wonderful things that we need to talk about as well. Um, and I will say that, you know, David and I um, are just starting kind of our conversations together and we want to make sure that we give you um, so many more things in the future. And so do connect with us um, on our web pages so, and subscribe so that you can be a part of what we're working on and the things that we're trying to create. 
Um, we're just trying to make the journey easier in wherever you're at on it and that you know you have people that you can trust um, and that believe in the journey and what things you'll discover and how you'll get there. So again, I thank you so much, David, um, for the first of many great thank conversations you. in both of our journeys to make a difference, not only to, to the kids, but to the parents, to the family, the grandparents and the friends, because this really starts conversation of diversity, inclusion, and understanding that the differences that we have make it such a more of amazing world that we live in. Absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity and I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to ASD Warrior. For more information and resources, please connect with us at asdwarrior.com. Subscribe and become a member of the ASD Warrior Village. Together, we can do more.